Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Eagle Naz Church Podcast. My name is Trevor, and I'm one of the pastors here at Eagle Naz. We hope that the next 30 minutes helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and that you will see how God wants to move in your life. Thanks for listening. Today, we, we get to understand that what we get into gets into us. What we get into gets into us. If we get into um, things that are healthy, they get into us. If we get into things that are unhealthy, they get into us. You know what, it, what it's like if, if you begin to pursue money and um, go after all the, the material things of the world. If, if we're not careful, we get into money, greed gets into us. Uh, it's clear when we look at our world, when we, we get into the, and I understand how it happens, the, the, the flypaper sticky stuff of pornography and inappropriate things on the internet. If we get into porn, porn gets into us. It kind of gets its claws on us and, and we can't even seem to get rid of it. It just, what we get into gets into us. Uh, it, when we get into gossip, not meaning to, and we just say something that's unkind about a fellow worker, it becomes a habit, and before we know it, it becomes a way of life, and, and what we speak becomes who people know us to be, and what we get into gets into us. But there's some, there's some good news. When we get into good stuff, good stuff gets into us. When we begin to get into God's Word, and we study it, and, and we begin to to read it and pray over it and ask God how to apply it to our lives. When we get into the Word, the Word, don't we know, gets into us. I got like three amens. When we get into the Word, the Word gets into us. There you go. First hour ain't got nothing on you. When we uh, get into following the Holy Spirit, when we listen to His voice, when we follow his way when we do his will. When we get into the spirit, don't you know the spirit gets into us? Come on. When we uh, begin to follow God with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength, when we get into God, God gets into us. That's good stuff. The reason is there's a, there's a deep need for passionate pursuit in our lives of truth. And so we go after all kinds of things to fill us up, but we are, we are made for, we are designed for the, the truth that God gives us. We were created for that, and so what we get into, don't you know, it gets into us. Uh, Oprah was uh, doing her preaching not long ago, I'm, and I don't mean to be offensive, but Oprah was talking about what she called my truth. And I, I just began to listen, and I, I thought I must have heard her wrong. But then she went on with this quote. She said, uh, "We see that he, she, she said, uh, speak, I speak my truth. Speaking your truth is the most powerful tool you have. That is such horse pucky. No, really. Look up the word truth. And it says fact based on reality. We live in a cultural relativism today where people believe the lie that your truth is as good as your truth and your truth is the same as my truth and everything's just relative and there's no absolute 
It's just not true. And so we go after truth thinking that whatever I go after, whatever I seek, whatever I believe, whatever I want to do is fine, and whatever you want to do is fine. And the relativism of this culture leads to a train wreck. And so as we study today, we get to learn about a young man who's eight years old, and God's already getting a hold of his heart. And he's going he's gonna to dip down and find the solid bedrock of truth. And when he gets into truth, truth gets into him, and it changes everything for him. And here's the good news. It can change everything for us. His name's Josiah. Josiah's dad is Amon. His, he, his dad lives two years, and he lives such a, a, an evil life that, that the people around him can't stand his leadership, and they assassinate him. So Josiah is just a little boy when he becomes king, and he, he couldn't look to his grandpa. His grandpa's name was Manasseh. I hope none of you name your kids Manasseh. Manasseh was so evil that he, he sacrificed children on the altars of the false gods. Can you imagine a society so barbaric that they sacrifice their own children? He, he, uh, he sets up areas to worship false gods of Ashtoreth, who is mother god. And he, he sets up the worship areas in God's temple. He's so brazen about it. He, he has people killed that he doesn't like in his administration. I mean, he just runs, he, he does more evil in less time than all the kings before him. And Josiah sees the havoc of his dad and his grandpa, and he says, not on my watch. I'm not going to live that way. And anybody know your dad's name? Remember him? Anybody? Good. Got one kid. Anybody know your grandparents' name? Go ahead, lift a hand. It's all right. Anybody know your great-grandparents' name? Lift a hand. Okay. Great-great? There's about three or five. That's how far we are from being forgotten, but our legacy still moves on. There's a, there's a great great in there who's named Hezekiah, and he followed the ways of God. There's, there's many greats back, and there's a, there's a guy named David, and it says that, that when Josiah patterned his life, when he would have studied the kings of the nation, he would have looked at them, he wanted to be as much as he could, like a, a man named, named David who had a heart after God going way back. I, I've got a challenge for you. Anybody in the house over 40 years old? Don't, you don't have to lift your hands. If you're over 40 years old, I want to give you a life-giving challenge today. I'd like you to mentor someone. I'd like you to get with someone who's younger than you and way more cool than you, and, and I'd like you to spend time with them and, and talk to them about what you know and about God's trustworthy to us and about the word and plant seeds of greatness in their heart because sometimes uh, you can make an incredible difference in the life of others. And can I just challenge you today to mentor young men and young women in your life? It will matter a great deal. So let's look at the passage today. We're going to be reading from 2 Kings chapter 22. By the way, I, I got another, I'm full of challenges today. I want to challenge you 
to start bringing God's word to church. I did notice I didn't say bring your smartphone to church. I, there's nothing wrong with smartphones and they have the Bible on them and iPads, but, but I happen to believe there's something special when, when the whole people of God collectively just open the word and start turning the pages and marking up the book and loving the book and we become a people of one book, amen? Now if you don't have a Bible, we've got a bunch in the back and you can just take one free on us. If you forget one that day, grab it in the back and use it, but I just wanna issue a challenge to let God's word go with you, especially when you come to his house. Okay, let's uh, stand on our feet if we could. We're looking at 2 Kings 22, the story of Josiah. Uh, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Edida of Bokath, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. If I hammer these in pronunciation, will you forgive me? And Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbar the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Asiah the king's servant saying, anybody lost you? Oh my word. Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. You may be seated. Uh, jo Josiah is going to go through four stages in his life that I believe we all go through in determining what's going to get into us. And what gets into us, uh, what we get into gets into us. And the first one is disillusionment. That's the stage where Josiah looks at the life and he says, uh, my grandfather's life and my father's life, that's not going to be my life. I, I'm, I'm not going to live that way. What, what I see them doing and how I see them living, uh, that world uh, it, it doesn't align with I, who I believe I should be and what I believe my life should be, and he ju he's just disillusioned by it. Uh, then he goes into the, the next step, which is discovery in his life. So disillusionment to discovery, uh, he, he begins to discover and hear that there's other alternatives that, that God would move him into, and he decides his life can look different than that, and, and he doesn't have to align himself with those who have lived poorly, and he, uh, he, he begins that discovery phase, and he has a heart for God, maybe a godly mom or grandma, we don't know about them, basically a single parent kind of situation in a lot of ways, and, and he has a hunger for the stuff of God. In fact, uh, he has such a hunger for, for the things of God and wanting to be like the great kings before him that he begins to restore God's house, and he takes the money of the treasury, and he, be, he, he gives financially to the house of God. May God bless his tribe. May they increase many fold over. Oh, people. 
And then uh, the word of God is discovered, and it's read to the king, and he tears his robe. So he goes from disillusionment to discovery and then despair because when the word of God is aligned with his world, there's a great disparity. And he's brokenhearted. He thought he was doing fine. In some ways, he was living just like the culture around him. And he realized that the, what this book says and what his culture is doing are worlds apart. And, and so he is in despair. He tears his clothes. It's a, you would only do that if your, your parents had died in an awful accident or there was, the nation had been attacked and thousands were wiped out. I mean, it was a, a symbol of incredible divergence of, of the good stuff and the bad stuff. It was an awful place to be. He's in despair. And, and personally, I think we all go through that. We go through disillusionment we go through a discovery phase, and then there's the despair of, God, my life doesn't align with your will, and what am I going to do? And that's where he is. And then comes decision point. He has a decision to make. By the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you with a third challenge today. I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something that Josiah did. I'm going to ask you today to align your life to the authority of this book before the message is done. Amen. So Josiah, uh, he, he, he does that. He decides to align his life to God's word instead of the culture in which he lives. I, I got a pair of Soul 7 skis this year. Colton picked them out for me. And they are awesome. The old skis uh, didn't do so well for me. And I thought I was just getting old, but it was all in the skis. Man, I'm telling you what, those Soul 7s, they just go down the mountain and they just glide and you just lean and they're awesome. I, I want to tell you, I think aligning to God's word is like Soul 7. Uh, there's seven things that Josiah is about to do. He makes that decision. He says, God, um, no matter what anybody else does in my culture, no matter how unpopular it is, no matter how divergent I am from the average, I align myself to your word from this point on. I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I, I'm at McMinnville Church of the Nazarene, 100 people on a good day, and the pastor issues a challenge, and he says, you who'd be willing to align your life to God's word, and you'd read it every day, even if it's midnight, and you remember that you haven't read the word, would you commit I'm asking you, line in the sand, would you align your life to the authority of the word and would you read it? And I had the audacity to say, oh yeah, that'd be pretty easy, I'll do that. About midnight that night, I'm in bed with my cozy blanket and Bun Farb doesn't have a nice warm heater kind of system and I, I, it's about midnight and I realize I haven't read the word. And I heard the pastor say, you know what, the enemy will try to keep you away from God's word because he understands the reality that what we get into gets into us. And I got up from that nice, toasty, warm bed and pulled the covers away and put my feet on that cold linoleum and I thought I was gonna die. <laughs> and I turned on the light switch and I read the word and I've been reading the light of the word ever since. And I'll tell you what, you'll never regret the decision to align 
your life to the authority of God's Word. Uh, so he does that. He, um, he decides he goes through disillusionment and discovery and despair, and then he makes a decision to follow God's Word. And, and in the following chapter, we don't have all the time that it would take to read that, but I just want to talk to you about what happens in Josiah's life when he makes that one decision that I'm asking all of us to make today when he aligned his life to God's Word. He called all the family together. And he said, starting now, in my house, just like Joshua did before him, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He said, we align to the book. We're following the book. We believe this book. We're going to live this book. I, I just have to believe that if all of us in this place would gather our families and even talk to our friends and say, no matter what the rest of the world does, as for me and my house, I serve the Lord, I follow this book, that it would change the lives of generations around us. Amen? So he, he does that. He, uh, he equipped and trained his leaders. He gathered the people around, and he shared the word with them. And, and I've just got to say, it wasn't popular in his day. It wasn't like everybody was going, oh, yeah, let's get out the Bible and talk about it. It was not popular. It was, it, the book was hidden for generations. There, nobody even knew about or understood this, and it went completely countercultural to the world that Josiah lived in. He had to take a stand to decide that he would be a, a man of one book. We would have to take a stand in our culture if we would be a person of the book. Uh, the next thing we know is that he prioritized his relationship with God, Josiah renewed the covenant between God and the people. And, and Josiah had all the people stand up and he read the whole Bible to them. Wouldn't that be a good Sunday? I know it was the first five books, but he literally, he had them stand up. And he said, God called us out in the beginning. He, he called us out to be salt-preserving and life-giving light to the world and to show people how to live, and we're not living up to that. He said, people, we have such a destiny in the power of God by aligning ourselves to his word and his ways and his wills. Anybody want to stand with me? And he had them stand up, and he read it all, and they made a covenant that day that they would be aligning of their word to his will and his ways and his book, and they would live that life. He called them to it, and they accepted his challenge. Uh, the next thing uh, he... Uh, tore down the idols. There had been kings before Josiah who were considered great kings, and they had allowed high places to be put inside the temple itself. And Josiah found those Ashtoreth poles that were made to mother God, and he ground them to powder. And he took the, the bones of, of, of prophets of Baal and he ground up the bones and he burned them to ash and he spread them all around because in his culture in that day, if you uh, touched somebody that was dead, you were unclean for a, a period of time. And so, hey, that would work to get people to church, right? Just go spread some ash. I'm kidding. He, uh, he tore down the altars. He went further than people thought that he should go. He, he, some people thought that he was extreme. He said, no, on my watch, we are going to clean up, we are going to get rid of, we're, not, we're, we're gonna tell the truth about what truth is. 
Then uh, he, he valued life and purity. Chapter 23, verse 7 says that Josiah uh, opposed child sacrifice. Manasseh, his granddad, had allowed children to be sacrificed on the altar of convenience of other gods. His grandpa had sacrificed his own child on the altar. And Josiah said, under my watch, we will be a nation that values life. On my watch, as far as it is up to me, we will be a nation that values life. Someday I'm going to stand before Almighty God and he is going to look at me and he's going to say, did you say it straight? Did they hear it clearly? People, we have a culture that is rampant with immorality. Sexual immorality is so normal that the nation no longer blushes about any form of sexual immorality. Josiah went into the places of prostitution and he cleaned house. The male prostitutes, he, he, he just cleaned house with that. He said, no more. We are going to align our lives to the purity and the blessing and the beauty of the nuclear family and what God calls us to in the original plan. We are going to be a people of purity on my watch with God's will and his way and it is possible and it is normal and it is good and he restored the nation to normative healthy sexuality. Pornography has infiltrated our land. It is so normal for people to have sexual relationships out of marriage that they don't even think about it as being abnormal or unhealthy in any respect. Our land is inundated with a lack of understanding of alignment to God's word. If you have been caught by the hands of pornography in your life, there is a way out. I love the fact that when we prayed for Mark and Jamie Bailey last week, Mark said, my church, we bought a strip joint in Utah and we offered jobs to all the strippers and all the prostitutes and we took over the strip joint and we made it into a church and we changed the culture of the neighborhood. What if? What if there was a, a group of people who, who called purity by its right name, and truth by truth, and, and, and men who would say, no longer am I going to accept the culture of impurity and pornography, and I'll read any book and go to any counselor and talk to any trusted friend, and if it takes years, I will get out of this brokenness that have held me captive, and I will be changed by the power of Almighty God in alignment to his word, and God's spirit will flow through homes and change marriages and bless houses, and we will see that there is a different life that can be lived when we live in honor to God's word and his ways and his will. Josiah, he did that with his life. He, he valued life and purity, and then he made right that which had been done wrong, the, the, the prophets of Baal had come in and created altars across the land. 
And, and there was one prophet who stood up and he said, one day God is going to restore the nation and one day these altars will be changed back, they will be removed and there will be no more allowing of false idols in the land and, and that prophet was slain. And when he fell, another prophet said, bury me with his bones because what he said is going to be true by the power of Almighty God. And Josiah came and he was grinding up the bones of the false prophets and throwing them on the altars of, of defilement and stopping the people from worshiping the wrong kinds of God. And he said, what's that tomb over there? Do we need to get those bones and defile them as well? And they said, that's a prophet who declared what you are now doing would be done many decades ago. And he said, don't mess with his bones. <laughs> he went back through the generations. He went back until he found the solid foundation of truth. And he said, on this I will base my life. On this I can take my stand. This is truth. And he went back as far as it took to get to a godly example of someone's life who had been founded on the power and the word and the ways and the wills of God. And he said, that's where I will camp and make my stand. He, uh, he made right what had been done wrong. He restored the heritage of the godly before him. He relied on God's power, not on earthly security. Josiah went so far in walking with the Lord that they said, never was there a king before or since who walked with God that he gave God his whole heart, his whole mind, his whole strength in every way. And Josiah one day was walking through the, 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 the armies of Israel and he saw these chariots and they had the insignia of the sun god on them. And he said, take those chariots and smash them and burn them to powder and get rid of them for they have been made to honor a God other than ours. He went so far that he took what was deemed to be the strength of the nation, and he said, we will find our strength in God and in him alone. The message, though it cost me business, though it cost me what seems like security, though it doesn't always make sense, I will align my life and my way and my will to God's word no matter what, even if it costs me, because ultimately my security is not in those things that the world holds for security. My security is alone in God. He, uh, he created amazing shifts in the culture toward grace. He started the Passover again. They'd forgotten about grace. They'd lost their way. And he said, you know, it's God who rescued us. It's God who redeemed us. It's God who took us out of the enemy's snare. It's God who took us out of slavery into the promised land. And he reinstituted an understanding of who God is in our lives by the, by the power of his testimony and the commitment of his will. Josiah was killed in battle. He reigned for 31 years. I don't like stories that end that way, do you? I want him to win, like taking on Egypt and beating them all up, and he, the good guy wins, and Norman Rockwell, happy ending, amen, right? But the message is that in his time, what he got into got into him, and it changed the culture. I, I think about this, this great book that's more than a book, 
this word of God that we're called to align our life to. And there might be a temptation to say, well, that's an Old Testament passage, Pastor Tim. So what about now? What about Jesus? What about the New Testament? Jesus was uh, headed to the cross. And Peter says, you shouldn't go to that cross. That's unnecessary. It's painful. It's not right. And Jesus looked at him and he said, Peter, how will Scripture be fulfilled if I do not do all that is mentioned in the Word? Jesus was on the cross in the greatest agony that any man could possibly endure, taking the weight of sin on his shoulders, and he quoted Scripture to create prophecy and encouragement and enablement for himself to get through the moment. In Jesus' dying moment, when, when, there's, when there's no messing around, when the most important words would ever be uttered, what does he say? He utters scriptures from the book of Psalms. When Jesus rises from the grave and he's walking with his disciples down the Emmaus Road, he appears to them and the scripture says, and he taught them all things concerning himself in the book, meaning the, the first five books of the, the Bible. Oh, wouldn't that have been a nice walk with Jesus, amen? And he taught himself, them about himself through the Holy Scriptures. Jesus aligned himself to the book. He encouraged himself by the book. He gave credibility to the book. And, and he instructed in the book, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. That would be an amen point right there. Amen. There we go. Paul the Apostle, who was slam dunked by the power of the Spirit under the influence of the Spirit, uh, he, was, he walked closely with God. He was talking to Timothy in, a, in the last letter that he would write him. He's in a Roman jail writing the second book of Timothy, and he, and he wants him to understand how to move on without him. He wants to know what's important, no messing around. He's headed to his execution, and, and you don't play around in those moments. And what does he do? He says, Second Timothy, he says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. It is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The, the writer to the Hebrews who was trying to encourage the church was talking to them, and he said, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. One man told me, a friend of mine, he said, uh, some people act in their church like the Holy Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. He said, it's not. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I would say that all three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are active and alive in this book. I just want to tell you I've done all the learning I can. I've given my life completely to the cause of Jesus Christ. And I just want to tell you, I believe this book literally to be true. Now, when, when Jesus says 
by faith you say to the mountain and it will be moved. That's literally true that faith does great things. He's using a metaphor to talk about it. In Genesis, it, it talks about the days of creation. We can argue all day about whether it was 24-hour days or epics. Do you understand? Meaning the, the original Hebrew actually talks about epics. And so you who are seven-day literal creations, we can box. Amen? We, we can have a great discussion. And the book is filled with poetry. And, 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 and it's filled with prophecy and with narratives. And we ought not to treat prophecy like we treat poetry. And we ought not to treat poetry like we treat narrative. But at the end of the day, I, can, I could lay my life on the line with this for you and say, I believe in the alignment of our will, our life, our actions with this book. Amen? Amen. So as your shepherd, I've done my part. I will stand before Jesus and I will say, I told them. I told them that I believe the book and I believe it will change their lives. And I asked them to align, align their, their, their lives to, to the book and to your will and to your ways, to your word, to the, that their actions would align to this book as best they can with the power of the Holy Spirit and the help of him. But now it's going to be up to you now that I've told you. Will there be a day when people look back and on your epitaph it says, she called us together. He called us to accountability. He said, I'm telling you that this book is authoritative in my life and I want it to be in yours. And in each generation, we make a decision about whether we will be Manasseh or Josiah. And can I just tell you, it will make all the difference in the world. So I'm going to ask you now, would you be willing to stand on your feet and make a covenant? And by standing this morning, that you would say, no matter what happens in my culture that's relativistic, I believe in the truth of God's word, and I choose to align myself to God's word. Would you stand if that's true for you today? Ah, yeah. Amen. Would you stand today if that's true for you? God, I, I want to align myself to your word, and I want my actions to be aligned too. Ah, praise the Lord.